It's me, Godiva Lee, and you're listening to a Radio Geekly on KBOO Portland. folks, Just Jess here. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of A Radio Geekly. We got a lot to cover, so let's get right down to it. Collective member and self-proclaimed Trekkie, Godiva Lee, has a new podcast out called Get Trekked. And this segment is a part of the first episode of that podcast. She sat down with the members of the Trek in the Park Collective, who had been doing uh, Trek in the Park for the last five years. Unfortunately, they had to close their curtain, but this segment is actually a reading that Godiva got to participate in. So take a listen to that, and if you want to hear the whole episode in its entirety, go to kboo.fm forward slash podcasts and search for Get Trekked. Bam. Um, Adam Roscoe, I played Captain Kirk in all five seasons of Trek in the Park. Uh, my name is Nathan Ailing. I played uh, Montgomery Scott for four seasons. My name is Ryan Castro. I portrayed Ensign not appearing in this episode for four years and also Khan for one year. And you're listening to Radio Geekly and Get Trekked. All right, let's get into it. Da, da. <laughs> okay. How sharper than a serpent's tooth. Captain's log, stardate 6063.4. The Enterprise is tracing the origin of a mysterious alien space probe. It approached the Federation homeworlds, made a scan of Earth's system, and then signaled out towards space. Before it could be intercepted, the probe self-destructed. We are following a trail of disrupted matter left by the probe's highly advanced propulsion system. Thus far, the trail has not intercepted any inhabited star systems. Status report, Mr. Spock. The trail is becoming fainter, Captain. I recommend we reduce speed to accommodate our sensors. Reduce speed to warp factor 2, Mr. Walking Bear. Aye, sir. Warp factor 2. Captain, centers indicate a vessel at extreme range. Course projection? It's coming in on the same course as the probe, sir. Heading toward us, warp 3. No readings yet, Captain. Possibly a second probe. Hmm. Or it could be the sender. All stations to yellow alert. Standard Haley on all frequencies. Bum, 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 bum. Identification, Mr. Spock. <laughs> None as yet, sir, but sensors now indicate it is twice our size. Vessel appears extremely unorthodox in design, and Starfleet lists no other authorized vessels in this quadrant. Reduce to warp one, Mr. Walking Bear. Warp one, sir. Activate main screen. Extreme magnification. Approaching ship has an immense energy field surrounding it. Fascinating. Readings indicate the vessel is composed entirely of crystalline ceramic. I would almost say... <laughs> Captain, we're losing speed. The helm doesn't answer. We're going to sublight. All engines stop. All engines stop, sir. Give me a damage report as soon as possible. Bridge to sickbay. Casualty report. Uh, McCoy here. No serious injuries. What the devil's going on? Later, Bones. We have been encased in a globular force field, Captain. The source is the approaching vessel. But we hit warp one. We should have been smashed. I cannot explain it. Sensors indicate we are now being probed. Captain, there it is. Dun, 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 dun. The other ship is slowing down. Pew, pew, pew. It's encasing us in some sort of energy beam. Walking bear, full power, all shields. Reverse engines and get away from that beam. Lock main phasers on that ship and open fire. Pew. The phasers can't breach their force field. Spock status on their ship. It's still approaching, Captain. Going sublight. It continues to probe us. Its surrounding energy pattern is shifting. 
Have you ever seen anything like that, Spock? I recognize it, sir. Kukulkan. Mr. Walking Bear, how did Dum dum dum. How did you I was angered because I believed you had forgotten me. But one in your midst knows my name. You will be given one chance to succeed where your ancestors failed. Fail me again, and all of your kind shall perish. Mr. Walking Bear, how do you know who's aboard that ship? I've studied the histories of many ancient peoples. That ship out there bears a strong resemblance to a god in Mayan and Aztec legends, Kukulkan. The Mayas had a legend of a winged serpent god who came to the skies bringing knowledge. Such legends were not uncommon among Earth's people, Captain. Then we could be dealing with the basis of all those legends. A space traveler who visited Earth from primitive times. But why would Kukul Khan want to destroy us? You don't deserve it, Yeoman, but you're getting a few days' bed rest. Pew, pew, gasp! Stick pay to security, Dr. McCoy's vanished! Mr. Walking Bear, what do the legends say about... Pew! Walking <laughs> Bear? <laughs> Security reports Dr. McCoy has also disappeared. What's he doing to my crew? Whoa. Captain? <laughs> <laughs> Captain's log supplemental. The Enterprise is the captive of an alien life form calling itself Kukulkan. Dr. McCoy, Mr. Walking Bear, and myself have all beamed off our ship, most likely transported to Kukul by Kukulkan to this ship. How am I making a captain's log when I'm, like, kidnapped? <laughs> It's his internal monologue. <laughs> Your monologue. Hold on, it? I got a blog about this. One second. <laughs> You'll monologue. never believe. Most likely transported by Kukulkan to his ship. And without single phaser communicator, the fuck are you talking to, Jim? <laughs> I got my medical kit for all the good it is. Mr. Walking Bear, do the legends say what happened to Kukulkan? No, sir. Only that he left and promised one day to return. Then that space probe that approached Earth must have been his. Listen. We're being observed. Watched. Is there any way the Enterprise could get to us? I don't think so, sir. Our sensors couldn't penetrate this ship. Now I will show you the seeds that I have sown before. Learn from them. Find their purpose if you can. Only then will I appear before you. Are we being transported again? This looks like a Mesoamerican pyramid. I've never seen anything so beautiful. Where did it come from? Let's find out. These pillars around the pyramid look like the obelisks built by the ancient Egyptians. With one difference, sir. Look at these carvings of a winged serpent. That's not Egyptian. And this gateway. I, I can't pin down what culture it represents. But it's still a clue. This city is one gigantic riddle. Keep alert. Now that we're here, what do we do? Opinion, Mr. Walking Bear. <laughs> 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 Star Trek is awesome. <laughs> Before he left, Kukulkan gave me a gave the Mayas a remarkably accurate calendar. He told them to build a city according to its cycles. On the date the city was finished, Kukulkan was supposed to return. The Mayans built their city and awaited Kukulkan uh, and awaited Kukulkan never appeared. Kukulkan must have visited several ancient peoples on Earth but each one only used parts of his knowledge to build their cultures. Does that mean they all tried to build something like this? Yes, sir, but they all failed. But if no one on Earth built this city exactly right, then that's why Kukulkan never came back. This entire city is our key. Kukulkan said he would only appear when we learned its purpose. Then there has to be some sort of signaling device here. That pyramid seems to be the center of everything. I'm going up there. The rest of you spread out and circle it. What's this? A table inlaid with a winged serpent. Doctor, look! 
Another tower. And there's another tower down there. There must have been one at all four corners, like there's... Look, there's a seam here. I think that the head can be turned. Come on, lad, give me a hand. <laughs> the sun. That's it, Bones. Turn the head all the way around and aim it up here. Turn the other heads this way. I'm coming down. <laughs> uh, this is the last one, sir. What are the pillars doing to the pyramid? The whole thing is an energy amplification system. This is Kukulkan signaling device. After scores of centuries, my design has been fulfilled. Behold me as I am. Behold, Kukulkan. Where are your weapons of destruction? Use them on me if you dare. We have no weapons. Where is your hate? You hate me, do you not? We don't hate you. You fired your weapons at me. We use them in self-defense. You fired on us. I am your master. I may do with you as I will. Do you think we belong to you? Bones, quiet. <laughs> it is as I thought. You have forgotten me and strayed from the path I set for you. You say that we forgot you. How can you expect us to regard you as a deity if we don't remember you? If you do not know me, then it is my task to teach you. <laughs> Transported again. Just once, I wish they let us use the stairs. <laughs> what is this place? Looks like some kind of zoo. I don't recognize a lot of these species, Jim. Please feel free to examine any of my specimens. All of these lead a peaceful life, one that is safe and contented. Contented? Cramped in these tiny cages. What you cannot see is that each of them, mentally, is in its own natural environment. They eat, breathe, and live in worlds created by my machinery. Worlds only they can see. They do not know they are in cages. Then, that city we were in wasn't really there. Even so, I would hardly call your city our natural environment. It was meant to be. That city and all else I taught you, ancestors. But they became evil. But no one thing, not even you, has the right to interfere with other cultures. I have been alone all my life. Destruction fell on my race before your kind had discovered fire. Creatures like these have been my only companions. I have seen you on many worlds, savage, warlike, filled with self-hate, destroying yourselves in the end. At last, I decided to help. As an experiment, I visited your Earth and tried to teach peaceful ways. I left, intending to return when I was summoned, but you never sent for me. Finally, I sent a probe, and what did I find? Warriors. But we work only to create peace. Nothing you have done so far makes me believe that is true. My creatures here have little intelligence. They alone live peacefully in the worlds I have to give. Even this creature, one of the fiercest and most untamable ever created, lives in peace in the world that I create for him. Good heavens! This is a compelling power cat. No one's ever seen been able to keep one of these alive. Why, Bones? They hate captivity. You're trying to put more than one in hand with them, and they throw off a charge of 2,000 volts. How, how did you even capture it? It was an infant and easily controlled, as you were when I visited Earth. You still are children to me, to be led and shown how to live. But if children are made totally dependent on their teachers, they will never be anything but children. 
Enough! This is useless. My dream is ending, and all of you are to blame. He's attacking. Scatter! <laughs> I sense something is wrong. The Enterprise escaped, but how? I will smash it this time. Jim, he's pulled up a view screen. It looks like the Enterprise has broke free. Then we've got to distract him and give Spock some time. Bones, what would happen if we pulled the cables on some of these cages? Most of the animals would just lay there, Jim. Uh, the Capellan Power Cat! Come on, Bones. No! Stop! We've destroyed the cat's cages. Run! <laughs> Irrational savages! See what you have done! Kukulkan, can't you control one of your own creatures? I cannot. Your ship is shooting at us and has disabled my central power source. Jim, if that's true, we're all in trouble. Jim, do something! Quick, your hypo. Full tranquilizer setting. I'll knock the compelling cat. Out. Are you okay, Jim? I'm fine, Bones. The cat's last power jolt clipped me. It's just like a big kitten now. My, aren't you the friendly little darling? I think we've earned the right to be heard. You continue to take advantage of me, but I agree. Speak. You think of us as being small creatures like this one. Are we really that inferior to you? No. But the violence of your kind surpasses even that of the power cat. We'd be fools if we didn't know that. But we've also been using our minds to try and learn and live in peace. Because we have minds. We can't be what you wanted us to be. But you are my children. I hoped I could teach you, help you. You did. Long ago, when it was needed most. Our people were children then, Kukulkan. We've grown up now. We don't need you anymore. I will let you go your own way. I have already done what I can. Good to be back on the Enterprise. So I guess that creature was the old Mayan god. And the Toltec's Quetzalcoatl, the Chinese dragon and all the rest. But not quite a god, just an old, lonely being who wanted to help others. Spock, I wouldn't suppose that Vulcan legends are like those. Not legends, Doctor. Fact. Vulcan was visited by alien beings. They left much wiser. The other ship isn't getting underway, sir. Heading away from Earth. It's sad. Think of what could have been done with all his knowledge. But the price was just too high. I think I know how he felt, Jim. There's a line from Shakespeare. Yes, Bones. I remember it. How sharper than a serpent's tooth is to have a thankless child. Indeed, Captain. Lay in a course for Starbase 21. All ahead. Warp 2. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Well done. We built so this good. city. That was fun. <laughs> we built this city for cool, cool cars. That was awesome. Thanks, Godiva, for that submission. I can't wait to listen to the podcast and the whole episode online. Once again, kboo.fm forward slash podcasts and search for Get Trekked. The next segment is from me. I... Went to Geek Girl Con recently for my first ever Geek Girl Con. It was pretty cool. I sat down at the Women of Funko panel. Funko is known for their vinyl pops. You've probably seen them around toy stores in the city and uh, online. And so this panel is a collective from some of the sculptors and designers that work at Funko. So take a listen and enjoy. First off, we're just going to go through and talk about job title, name, a little bit of background, and uh, kind of kick it off. So I'll let 
Molly and give her intro. My name is Molly Harkey. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Funko. Um, it will be a year now, actually this week, November 1st, that I've been with Funko. And I love working for Funko. Um, I enjoy uh, that there are so many women at Funko and everything that we do at Funko is for the fans. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been at Funko almost three years now. I started in sales and went on uh, to the marketing team, so I do all the social events, um, which you might have seen. If you haven't listened to the Funko Funcast, definitely check us out, go to our blog. Um, we do a lot of giveaways and uh, fun stuff there, so pass it off to Kelsey. Hey guys, I'm Kelsey. I'm the lead rendering designer at Funko. I've been here for two and a half years now. Um, I primarily do uh, renderings for marketing and uh, for packaging as well as concept. And I also do some sculpting uh, as well. So some of my favorite projects are Overwatch, which I absolutely love, um, which I've work gotten the joy to work on with the rest of our awesome team, which is so cool. Um, and as the rendering lead, I am proud to say that my, my team under me, the renderers, um, as well as our photo production group is all ladies, so. Woo! <laughs> I'm Julie Godwin. I, a, I make up half of the plush design team at Funko, and um, I've been there nearly two years now, and it has been awesome and a wonderful experience. And I'm super proud of everything I've made, including like uh, done a lot like Steven Universe, Rick and Morty, a lot of Disney as well, and the uh, Wet More Monster plush as well. And I'm passing this along to Isabel. Hi, I'm Isabel Anderson. I'm a sculptor at Funko, and I work specifically also on articulation and action figures. Um, I've been there a little over two years, and um, yeah, I just love working with the creative and wonderful people in our um, art department. It's so inspiring every day, and I learn so much about what we do, and I love working with such talented women especially. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Lena Ijeoma. Um, I think I've been at Funko the longest, but a little over five years. I'm a senior sculptor, so yeah, this job's kind of like a dream come true. I get to work on everything I love. Uh, hello, my name is Jessica Nanez, and I'm currently a designer on the um, Funko Creative team. I do concept color callouts and packaging. I'm currently transitioning into the packaging lead, and I'll be heading that part of our department. Um, I have to say Betty Boop is one of my favorite projects I've worked on. Uh, I've been with Funko for four years, so yeah, it's been a really fun ride and uh, really fun to see how far, how far we've grown and everything, and I love working with the team that we have. Um, okay, so what is your, your favorite thing about your job or working at Funko? Ooh, um, we work on so many things. Um, I guess I want to backtrack first and say the people that you work with at Funko are amazing. Um, it's like being at a nerd convention every day of the week for you know 40 hours a week, which is perfect. Um, you can pretty much always make a nerd reference and somebody in the office will get it. Ayy! Um, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Um, and it's like a family environment. You know, there's people from a lot of different, that have a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of people who are like you and who aren't like you, and that's really awesome. You get really close. Um, so that it's the best culture ever um, at Funko. Um, and workways, we just work on so many things. You really get to touch everything you love. You know, you, uh, I am, I'm so passionate about certain things and being able to sort of have a hand in designing some aspect of it, even if it's merchandise, you know, 
being able to instill your passion into it, um, it really shows in the product. And, and I really hope that people, that, that people uh, can see that too in what we make because we put so much of ourselves into it and I, that's my favorite thing for sure. You know, something I dreamed about in that lull between graduating from SCAD and like, getting my job at Funko is being in a creative environment surrounded by other creative people. And that is my life now. Five days a week, I'm surrounded by creative people and everyone. Like, you're gonna find someone with similar interests to you, like, guaranteed, like, if you're working at Funko. Like, because, yeah, there's just so many fandoms out there. And it's great, like, walking around and seeing everyone's, like, desk set up with all their toys that are around them. Some people get really ingenious. And they have, like, really awesome collections and themed collections, and it's, it's wonderful to see. Um, but also, like, it's awesome, like, making something, to be able to make something, like, put yourself into it, and you, like, walk into Hot Topic or Target or something, and you see it on the shelves, and you see someone, like, carrying the product you designed in their arms and, like, loving it, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, I did that, like, <laughs> it's a great feeling, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I agree with both Kelsey and uh, Julie about both those things, um, I, I think one of the biggest things about working at Funko uh, for me was that I started out in articulation and um, wanted to get better at sculpting and I had incredible people around me who knew their craft so well and were so willing to share their expertise and their knowledge and Nina's a really good example actually of someone I would go to her desk and be like, I don't know how to make a ringlet, uh, how do you do this? And she has you know, tools and tricks to um, kind of help you and, and push you as a sculptor and as an artist. And I think all the departments are like that in the art department, you know, all the separate little teams, like, you know, in packaging and design um, too. But I just, I've really grown as an artist since uh, starting at Funko. And I think that's a testament to how amazing and, and uh, genuine and giving our team is. Um, it's really special. I wonder if there's anything new to add. Uh, I think one thing I like about the job is that even if you're currently working on something that you're not excited about, you always know that there's like a carrot on the end of a string. Like the next project will be something like, you can't love everything, but there's always something to look forward to. And so it never gets to that point where like, ah, I don't want to go to work today. I just want to sleep. I just want to do other things. And, I think that's the great part, is that I'm always motivated to come back. It's been five years and I still want to be here. Can I, if I bounce off of that? And, and I've noticed even when people are working on things that they're not particularly interested in, just knowing that there's somebody out there who loves it, it is like, we, we have a, an awesome Fortnite wave, and not all of us are big Fortnite fans, but when we go out and we, we create our Rex and we create our Havoc and we create our Cuddle Team Leader and then we see the kids like flossing and we're like, yes, we made you dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, for the two things that I really love uh, about working at Funko is um, the creative team is pretty much like my family. I'm originally from Arizona and I have zero family here, so they're pretty much my family and we talk all the time. We have events going on all the time, like Halloween and everything, so we're constantly together doing things and everybody really is a family. You know, it's 
if someone's birthday is coming up, we make sure that they have a card and we pass it around and every single person on the team will sign it, which is super cool. Um, if someone's sick, we'll go ahead and make a card for them too. If anybody's having any you know, family issues or anything, we're very supportive of each other. Um, so I love that aspect of being a part of creative. Um, the other thing I really do love about uh, my team is being everybody, every single person on the team is very collaborative. So, you know, I can go over to a sculptor and be like, hey, love, what do you think about the packaging? What do you think about this idea? And we bounce ideas off. Um, yeah, I really love working with all the people and we're a really big family. Um, what's one of your favorite projects that you've worked on or what type of project is your favorite to work on? Uh, my, my favorite absolutely has got to be Cultist Zenyatta. That was the coolest project that I was so, so fortunate to be handed. I have no idea how I, I lucked out to get that, but I was, but just having sort of the trust of, of the sculptors as somebody who's like, I'm tangentially in this department to work on a floating robot tentacle cultist, uh, which is, uh, needless to say, a very complicated project. It was really cool. Um, I love working on projects where I get to uh, uh, help my team like create something totally new. In rendering, we do a lot of uh, uh, visualization, like photo illustrative things, and so we're really pushing. And so the, just getting them excited is my favorite thing to do, is saying like, what, what more can we do with this? Um, what are the possibilities of our team? And, and how can we improve? Um, and how can we make something so awesome? Uh, that everyone is just as jazzed as we are. So I love motivating my team to do that. So a couple highlights for me, like my, one of my early projects that I still love to this day was I did a Cthulhu plush. Um, and, uh, right, yeah, um, it was like, uh, like, I have all of them, I love them, he's my baby, Kids, like, I got to put a lot of myself into it, it was really awesome to work on that. Um, I also did a Steven Universe plush from Funko and a pumpkin, the beach ball pumpkin um, <laughs> is wonderful and everyone loves him. And there's like the Steven Universe fan, um, well the official Steven Universe Facebook posted like some pictures recently and there's like one just like pumpkin in the air <laughs> with like arms outstretched. <laughs> like that's beautiful, that's, that's the essence of pumpkin. Um, but also just like, my favorite kind of plush design are creatures, like just animals, cuddly animals, bright colors, furry, lots of little like claw and teeth details. So uh, working on Wetmore plush was also a huge pleasure because monsters, creatures, I love them. I really loved working on the Furiosa Rock Candy because I love that character. But um, a recent project that I got to work on and I felt really lucky to do was the Wonder Woman in the DC Primal Age line. Uh, I love Wonder Woman. I think she's one of the best characters ever. And being able to sort of represent a strong female action figure and bring that to life was really exciting and kind of a dream come true. Um, I'm split between like really cartoony, colorful things and then like more like fantasy, highly detailed things. So I like working on mystery minis, especially like if I just get to like come up with a new style of my own. Um, but I also like doing action figures. I think the Dark Crystal action figures were one of my favorite set to work on. Um, my favorite thing to work on, and I brought her with me, that's my Betty Boop. Um, so I think I was about 
I say eight or nine, and my, my great-grandfather, he was still alive at the time, he'd bring me toys every week, and one of the things he had brought me was a Betty Boop doll, and he brought me a Betty Boop VHS tape with all of her episodes on it, so I'd watch it repeatedly. Um, so it was always kind of like a special thing for me, and then once I got onto the team a bit, uh, they gave me Betty Boop to do the concept as well as the colors and the packaging and everything, and that was really, really a dream come true for me her being so iconic, and everybody knows Betty, and I was really excited to work on her, so she had to be my favorite thing. As far as what I like to work on, um, right now it has to be packaging, I like to be really creative, and kind of push, you know, packaging. Um, I'm not sure if you guys were all familiar with the bow packaging. Uh, that was a collaboration between me and, and another gal I work with, Victoria, and we kind of pulled that off together, and it was pretty amazing, because it looks like an actual little uh, steamer to make ones in, so that was one of our like, oh my god, we did it moments, so we can't wait to do more crazy packaging like that. Okay, for the next one, what are some Funko product lines or licenses that you think are successful at representing a female perspective or portraying strong female characters? The first thing that comes to mind was it they're the absolute bubble of joy when uh, we learned that we got the license to Mad Max Fury Road. That was the best! Like, the, the, inner, the raw, dusty energy in the, in the office was so cool. So just being able to, to watch that happen from start to finish was so awesome. Um, I, I love working on lines that just have that infused in them. Um, just, you know, Steven Universe is a great example, and being able to see those, like we just, like, cooing in, at the uh, Ruby and Sapphire mini plush uh, that Julie worked on recently was one of my favorites, and, and just seeing, seeing how lines can be represented and, and having that perspective in the office to keep pushing for that is super exciting. So it's, it's only getting better. It's awesome. Second, um, that about Mad Max Fury Road. It is also one of my favorite properties. I feel like that's a big theme with this group. Um, but also, yeah, Steven Universe. Um, like, I love the show and I love the character designs, and getting to work on the plush was amazing. And I got to stare at the characters a lot. I never got tired of them because also I'm a fan, <laughs> and that was great. Um, but also, I wanted to add uh, Star Wars, I think, has been very good about um, like female perspectives and strong female characters, like legitimately strong in more ways than one. Um, and we've been able to do a lot of product for that, and it's been a pleasure to see it happen. I have nothing to do with vinyl myself. I don't work on pops, but like getting to see other people work on it and see what we produce is amazing. And also, like being a woman myself, and I work on flesh, like I think that is representative also of women and um, like you know, our strength, because I'm also, like, everything I work on, I am infusing it with, like, my creative energy. Even if it's not, like, even if it's something like Rick and Morty, which isn't necessarily uh, <laughs> very um, outwardly feminist, but, like, I don't know, I get to, by working on it, and I have my, like, I get to, you know, put myself into it, and I have my own reasons for enjoying it. Uh, I really loved that we got to do Saga, which was such a labor of love for the artists. Uh, Saga, drawn by Fiona Staples, who is just such a powerhouse in comics. 
Um, that to me was such an amazing get for us property-wise. Um, so yeah, really representing kind of strong, strong female characters and the female perspective uh, in that line, and also sculpted by a woman. Can't answer this question because the best answer is something that hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> yes, please go. Way down the road. It's like a year from now. It's like, you'll find out. <laughs> um, I'd have to go, say, go ahead and say Mad Max um, because of my Jeep and because it's an amazing movie. Also, I love Furiosa. She's like my number one. I have her. Her pop is like right there. She's staring at me every day. And then I have my rock candy right next to her. Um, I also have like the Furiosa arm decal on my Jeep. So she, when we got to do her, uh, I was really blown away by that. And I got to also work on the colors for the uh, mystery mini set. So that was really exciting. Um, I think another line, oh well, actually it would be Saga also. And the fact that it was sculpted by a woman, but it was also really, really pushed for years by another woman. And that little lady is Poppy. Um, and she was, she was pu pushing for it, concepting it, putting her little heart into it. And she is like, she was going to hope for that one. So um, that one also, and I'm trying to think of what others. I think, oh, Sailor Moon's another one. Um, I got to work on some of that and I really, yeah. Sailor Moon has to be another one for me. Not that I worked on these, but I wanted to add in um, everything we've been doing for the DC and Marvel ladies, like um, DC bombshells, like, and also just like them in their regular like comic costumes, I think, are really great. I love that we're doing them and I want to do more, or I want us to do more since I won't be able to work on them. But like, also, um, I wanted to add that um, not just like our Disney princesses, but all like the villainesses that we're doing too, like all the Maleficent power, like yeah, like it's great. <laughs> and it's really cool to see our product lines diversify as well. Um, you know, in the beginning, Funko was built on wacky wobblers and then grew into pops, which became a lot, you know, a lot more accessible. And then as we're growing new lines, we now have rock candy, uh, which is really cool. It's, it's a departure from your classic like pinup sort of figures, and so that, that gives you a lot more availability to do a Cruella de Vil as a rock candy, alongside of Jessica Rabbit, alongside of Mrs. Incredible, alongside of Harry Potter, and so it's not just an all-woman line, there's uh, guys in there as well, um, and plenty of other characters to come, um, but it's so exciting to see um, a female-led team grow those product lines, especially our lovely Nina here, who has come up with uh, new form factors and product lines as well. So it's it's infused in it, and it's and it's as it develops, you start to see more representation, more diversity in body types, more diversity in sort of the types of women who get figures made of them, which is so exciting. Uh, what are advantages or opportunities of being a woman at Funko? or in the licensed collectibles consumer products industry? That's a really good question. Um, the really great thing about Funko is you have the opportunity to share your perspective and your perspective is valued. Um, and that is, that is the awesome thing about where we work. Um, you know, in, in some places, in some industries, it's very difficult to get your voice through. It's very difficult to be on the same platform. But here, the advantage of being a woman, specifically at Funko, is that there is that, that there is that platform. Um, 
you know, we're, we're constantly pushing, and that is so exciting. Um, and it's really great to be able to, again, sort of inject, you know, put those women back into lines, put those, put those, uh, the, that increased uh, focus on diversity back into lines. So we have a really good opportunity at Funko to, to push the envelope. At Funko, I feel like my voice and my opinion and my perspective is heard, which is really great, really empowering. I've been very fortunate and I appreciate it. And um, like, it's it's cool to see people's different perspectives and like how how it's different and like everyone's different like influences coming in and being projected and being added to products, enhancing products and product lines and the looks and everything and developing new things and it's I'd never feel silenced so that's really wonderful. Kelsey and Julie both said it really really well and there's not a lot to add for me um, and I liked what Julie said uh, earlier too about just infusing your voice into whatever product you're making whether it's something that's sort of inherently feminist or not. Uh, you know I just think it's really powerful that so much of our department is um, you know female voices and, and female artists. If there's a problem, if you're unhappy, and somebody can see it in your face, they tell you, just share it, just say it. Um, not only are you not silenced, but you're actually asked to have your voice and to speak and to stand up for yourself and to tell people what you want. Um, you, you feel, it's very supportive. Yeah, I think you guys didn't really leave anything for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty much everything you guys have been saying, you know, um, we get to really be like, you know, we really like this character, she's struggling and, you know, pushing and, and getting more of the women that we like in these lines and stuff. And I have to say, Alloy was one of my favorites. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Kelsey and all the other gals pretty much covered it. I also don't know how many of you know, but at Funko there are um, three women executives on the executive team, and that is huge. That's happened in the last year, and so there's definite um, opportunities at Funko for everyone, and uh, being one of those women executives, I value that my voice is heard, and that I'm able to speak for the fans and also speak for the rest of the women at the company. Yeah, it was really fun to listen to them share their stories and how they got involved in Funko and what they enjoy. A lot of them mentioned it as their dream job, so that's pretty cool. For more information about Funko and what these ladies are doing and upcoming products they're working on, you can go to Funko.com, and Funko is spelled F-U-N-K-O.com. And for information and tickets for next year's Geek Girl Con up in Seattle, you can go to geekgirlcon.com. All right, this is ARG. We're a collective of fellow geeks, and we've got more geekiness to share. If you remember, oh, so many months ago, we had a few segments called Futurama Philosophy, or what I like to call Futurama-losophy, from our collective member, David. And he has now submitted a new, a new segment for us to enjoy. We might go back to Futurama philosophy, I don't know. But for now, here's something new to check out. Welcome to Binge and Purge, the segment where we consume a show, a series, a season, whatever, and then regurgitate its merits for you, the listening audience. This month, I had the pleasure of binging the first 10 episodes of the new Netflix series, Disenchantment. 
the latest animated series by Simpsons and Futurama creator and Portland native Matt Groening. Disenchantment is billed as doing to the fantasy genre what Futurama did to sci-fi and The Simpsons did to the family sitcom. The show centers around its three main characters, Bean, Elfo, and Lucy. Bean, Bean. Really? Full name Tia Beanie is the reluctant princess of Dreamland. She's been pressed in the marriage in order to form an alliance with a nearby kingdom. All this wedding hassle for a stupid political alliance? I thought that I'd get married for true love or because I was wasted. She also has a drinking problem. Elfo is a magical elf tired of his isolated life of nonstop candy and happiness and seeks to experience the outside world and all the misery that comes with it. Oh, I'm just, I'm sick of being happy all the time. Just once, I wish, I wish I could go somewhere where, where people are miserable. And finally, there is Lucy, a cat-sized demon that has been sent to possess Bean. I am a demon. That's right. In fact, your personal demon. He's still a bit of a mystery, but his evilness seems to be in the right place. I saved your life. Now I can go back to ruining it. Together, Bean, Elfo, and Lucy partake in a series of adventures all within a still undefined backdrop of a world where basically anything can happen. You can't park on my lawn. My flaming arrow says I can. You've got a talking flaming arrow? What? No, it's just a regular arrow. Well, I'm sorry. Things get confusing in a world with occasional magic and curses. And while I am a fan of such worlds, I just feel some more clearly set out rules for what can and cannot happen would help us. Now, the Kingdom of Dreamland, however beautiful, is a bit of a misnomer, as it entails a lot of death and mayhem. This is the norm for disenchantment, which is great for someone like me who enjoys dark humor. You know it's a great night when we're still up to see the Plague Patrol. Morning, princess! The rest of the kingdom is bolstered by an abundance of ancillary characters that flesh out and really make the world seem lived in. As for its format, Disenchantment embraces its freedom of not being tethered to FCC-regulated commercial television. The episodes are longer, the story's given time to breathe, there is direct continuity from one episode to the next, and the experience lends itself perfectly to our new binging way of media consumption. Other things that stand out are the musical score, the colorful painted backgrounds, the multi-layered writing, and the quality of voice acting. For anyone who is familiar with Matt Groening's work, you'll immediately feel at home in the Disenchantment universe. Whether it is the recognizable overbite character designs, the animation look and style, or the fast-paced humor, there is definitely a comfort slipping into this world. This may be a party barge, but the dangers of Mermaid Island be all too real. So drink responsibly! Initially, it was hard for me to watch Disenchantment without getting hit with some massive Futurama-like echoes. For one thing, it's the same basic character dynamic between its three leads in a world where pretty much anything goes. King It's kind of surreal hearing fragments of Bender, the Professor, and other mainstays making up the King's Court of Disenchantment. But after a couple episodes, the characters establish their own footing, and the jarring nature of this mismatch soon dissipates. Many of the familiar graining themes are also hit upon. Things such as using alcoholism as a plot vehicle, sending up religion and conservatism. Blasphemer! How dare you bring logic into God's house? Return to your slab! Or even bashing communications majors. There's a lot of ground being retread here. 
albeit in a new way. I imagine this has a lot to do with Groening bringing back many of the original writers from Futurama and classic Simpsons, including fellow Portland resident Bill Oakley. I hope you're listening, Bill. I really want to interview you. But to wrap up this inaugural purge, I am happy Matt Groening has a new series. I cannot possibly calculate the amount of my life that has been dedicated to watching and rewatching episodes of his creations. And although a lot has happened over the decades since Simpsons Fever took hold of this country, it was the 90s, if you remember, there still is so much to explore. So whether you are an old fan or new to Groening's animated universe, the charm and fresh yet familiar world of disenchantment is something I fully endorse binging. I give it nine thumbs up. Thank you, and this has been Binge and Purge. Thanks, David. I think that's how we all like to consume media and streaming services. <laughs> it's usually the binge and purge method. Uh, so if you have some submissions, folks, on what we should binge and purge, you can uh, send us an email at aradiogeekly at kboo.fm, and we'd love to check that out and possibly use that for a future future segment. Well, you know, Halloween is over, but I'm sure lots of you still have that Halloween candy and warm beverage nearby. So here's some more suggestions on horror movies to check out. Open Mike, our collective member and resident film critic, is giving us some more options on some horror films to check out while uh, the rain is outside and the leaves are falling on the ground. So enjoy. Music for Radio Geekly. Coming in with my segment for spooky movies and scary stuff that you can watch. I hope you like the last batch of movies that I brought to your attention. And I got another batch of good movies that I want you to check out. But first, I wanted to find, by definition, what is a zombie? First of all, when we speak about zombies, by definition, A zombie is said to be a corpse revived by witchcraft, mostly found in Central African or Caribbean regions. Hmm. Also, it says a zombie can be a willingless, speechless human to have been held by death, supernaturally reanimated and under the power of a supernatural or black magic so when i watch movies about zombies it's hard to find those movies that kind of depict that definition let's take a look at the 1990 george r romero's night of the living dead that version takes place in a cemetery remember barbara and those walking dead were all trying to get after anyone that was in that cemetery area. So that would lead me to believe that it was some kind of black magic. 
but take a look at the movie for yourself. The 1990 version, George R. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Next up, I want you to take a look at Return of the Living Dead, the 1985 version by Dan O'Brien. Now this version doesn't happen in a cemetery. It doesn't happen in the Caribbean. It happens in a supply warehouse. This dark comedy is filled with tons of laughs. You get some scary moments. And of course, for the reason for it to be a cult classic, it has to be a cult classic because it has the best one-liners. Trust me, this is very entertaining. It's worthwhile watching. And it's another one of those versions of what the definition or what the origin of a zombie is. Next up, we got the 2004 version, Dawn of the Dead. This version is directed by Zack Snyder and it doesn't happen in a cemetery. It doesn't happen in a central African or Caribbean continent or region. And it doesn't happen in a warehouse. It's actually a disease, a plague that has overwhelmed and just taken over the world. And it's infected everyone, except for a few struggling to survive. This is a great movie to watch. It's full of excitement. It's scary. It's a lot of horror. So check it out and see this version of what a zombie would look like according to Zack Snyder. Are you getting where I'm going here? Do you understand where I'm leading to? When I read off the definitions of a zombie, I was leading to this movie here. The 1988 Wes Craven, The Serpent and the Rainbow. This movie is filled with the black magic, voodoo, it's in Haiti, and it even has a witch doctor. So it matches everything that I described in the top of this segment on the definition of a zombie. And that's not even the top of what would scare you the most about this movie is it's based on a true story. Yeah, Wade Davis, a Harvard scientist who studied this whole black magic and voodoo and zombie phenomenon. He actually went here and he recalled this story. And you get to see the depiction of his story and what he learned about the zombie. It's frightening. Good movie. The Serpent in the Rainbow. Wes Craven, 1988. Speaking of Wes Craven, he has another movie that came out in 1991. This Wes Craven movie, People Under the Stairs, is a black comedy. It's full of laughs and you get a whole bunch of chuckles and it's pretty scary. It reminds me of any neighborhood in America. You have that one house on your block that you're afraid to walk past or that one house on your block that there's people in there that are kind of odd. Well, People Under the Stairs is that kind of movie and it even has Vin Rames in it, 
which is bonus. So check out the Wes Craven 1991 movie People Under the Stairs, which is also said to be based on a true story. Okay, we spent a lot of time talking about zombies. I'm a little creeped out. Let's talk about something else. What about Mom and Dad? Ah, Mom and Dad, directed by Brian Taylor. 2017. Nicolas Cage is in this movie, where from the teenager's point of view, you know how Mom and Dad just don't understand. Well, in this movie, Mom and Dad not understanding takes it to a whole different level. Like, zombie level, these parents turn into these ravished, rampaging monsters. They just want to tear their kids to shreds. Bloody shreds, that is. 2017, Mom and Dad. This movie stars Nicolas Cage, and it's rated R, and it's a horror movie straight through. Maybe we can escape zombies. Just have a nice relaxing time riding a train. How about a train to Busan? This Korean subtitled film produced by Lee Dong-ha is set on a train. Father and his daughter decide to take a trip to none other than Busan. During the trip to Busan, they find themselves in the middle of being eaten by zombies on a train. This movie is exciting. It's pretty scary. Uh, there's a lot of thrills. And it's quite unique to put zombies on a train. But you will enjoy it. You will be quite afraid. So I hope you enjoyed my review of the horror movies that I have selected for you. And hopefully you will come back again. And I will select some more movies for you to watch. This is Open Mic Music for Radio Geekly. Enjoy. Thanks, Open Mike, for those suggestions. Uh, for me, for zombie movies, I'm kind of the odd duck, and I like Shaun of the Dead. It's more comedic than it is horror, uh, but in my opinion, I think just as fun to watch during this time of year. Okay, with just a few more minutes left here on ARG, wanted to run by some things that you can check out here in the Rose City. The Saloon Ensemble will be performing the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack at the Alberta Rose Theater for a few dates, November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. More information can be found at albertarosetheater.com, and theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. The 13th Door Haunted House, voted the number one haunted house in the Pacific Northwest, will be holding their Flashlight Terror Nights on November 2nd and 3rd. More information can be found at 13thdoor.com. That is 13thdoor.com. 
Oricon, Oregon's premier fan-run annual science fiction and fantasy convention, will be held on November 9th through 11th at the Red Lion Hotel in Jansen Beach. More information can be found at 40.oricon.org. Oricon is spelled O-R-Y-C-O-N. And that'll do it for another episode of A Radio Geekly. I'd like to thank collective members that contributed content today. Godiva Lee, you can check out her podcast, Get Trekked, at kboo.fm forward slash podcasts and search for Get Trekked. Open mic music for his film reviews. Check out those films he suggested while you're uh, spending time indoors during this holiday season. And of course, David with our new recurring segment, Binge and Purge. Send us your requests for more things to binge and purge, and you might hear it here on a future episode. Stay tuned at noon for Moving On, and thanks so much for listening to your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Take care. listening to this episode of a radio geekly check us out online at facebook.com forward slash radio geekly or on twitter at radio geekly or send us an email a radio geekly at kboo.fm